From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, you're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Hawk. We are officially in RRSP season. The deadline to contribute to your RRSP, if you want that contribution to count for 2022, is March 1st, 2023. You've got an extra day because the end of the month, end of February, ends on a weekend, on Sunday, I believe. So you've got some time, a few weeks ahead of you, to understand whether it's worth it to actually contribute to your RRSP or not. A lot of people I know panic at this time of year and think they have to get it in because it's a deadline and they've got to meet that deadline. And I think that that is a really unhealthy way to manage our finances. Yes, of course. If it's going to mean the difference of you having a really big income tax bill or not, absolutely, you should, uh, you know, just get going and get that RSP contribution in. And what's great now is that back in the day, we used to have to stand in line at the bank and uh, make our last minute contribution. I remember being a young person at the mall and on, on the days before the RSP deadline, the banks would have lineups out of the door because this was all the people who waited to the last minute wanting to contribute to their RSP so that that it counts towards last year's uh, tax, uh, tax, uh, tax year so that they can get that uh, bigger refund or at least get paid less income tax uh, on that previous year. But that's not the situation anymore. We can do everything online. It's just a couple of clicks of moving money from, say, your checking or savings account into your RRSP. Uh, but it's really important to do a little bit of math to figure out whether it's actually worth it. So here is my thinking when it comes to whether it's worth it to contribute to your RRSP this year or not. First thing you have to do is just simply Google income tax calculator because it's different across the country. If you're in British Columbia, if you're in Ontario, if you're in Quebec, it's going to be slightly different. It's actually sometimes interesting to see how your salary and your income tax uh, obligation differs from province to province, but that's a different conversation to have on another day. But that's the first thing you want to do. You just get a simple income tax calculator out. It will ask you your province and it will ask you simple questions like what your salary was, how much you've already contributed to your RRSP, how much tax you've paid, and maybe some other questions that are going to have an impact on your taxes. And it will spit out, it will spit out how much you either owe or how much refund that you can expect. But it also will help you understand what your marginal tax bracket is. So this is the number that's the most important. On the last dollar that you make in 2022, you pay the highest amount of income tax than you do on any other money that you make in the year. And so if you wanted to take full advantage of your RSP contribution, what you could do is find out how you could lower yourself to the next marginal tax bracket. So what that would do is that the money that you paid the most amount of tax on you would be taking advantage of by lowering your income. Say it's $3,000 away from the last marginal tax bracket. You put that money in and the money you paid the most amount of income tax on, you get that refund back or you pay less tax depending on how you're how you file. Uh, if you're, you're, if you're self-employed, you, it just means a smaller tax bill. If you have a T4, more, more than likely it means a refund. So that's a way to think about it, to think about, you know, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to put in the maximum amount possible. Uh, you don't have to get too stressed about, you know, mistakes that maybe you made at the beginning of the year, but just look at what your marginal tax bracket is and lower yourself to the next one. So at least the money you paid the most amount of income tax on you're getting that money back. 
The other thing is, is if you didn't reach your own our own retirement savings targets, say you set some for yourself last year at this time, and you realize I didn't get even close to that, re-promise yourself that you're going to get there this year. Because what makes more sense is to contribute to your RSP over time. Doing one big lump sum in February or at the end of February, in this case, March 1st, and then investing it once a year is not as effective as you dripping your money in month to month to month. It does two things. One, it takes advantage of all the ebbs and flows of the market. So if you set yourself up with um, with an, an automatic contribution to uh, a product that does not take commission, so you have to speak to your bank and figure out what products that they would offer you or you could contribute to on a monthly basis that have low fees, and in my opinion, low fees is less than 1%, preferably 0.5%, and there is no cost to buy uh, an X amount of money every every month. That's the best way because you'll get all the ebbs and flows of the market, the lows and the highs. And that is over time is going to serve you better than trying to do it all at once. And RSP season, it can be a frustrating time. It can be a confusing time. There are people out there that can help you, financial advisors, uh, financial planners. Sometimes that is money well spent. If you are feeling really overwhelmed, you it's money well spent where you can uh, get some advice from somebody who has studies this, who works with other clients, who understands your own anxiety and can help you through this time. So don't worry so much about the RSP contribution deadline. Worry about how you're going to improve how much you put into your RSP. The deadline to contribute this year is March 1st, 2023 at midnight. So you have to get it in before that time. Uh, you can do it online. You can do it in person. There's a number of different ways you can get that money in. And remember, if you want to put more money in than what your contribution room allows, you can save that contribution to be applied to your RSP in a year that you're making more money. So you actually get more income tax back. So there's a lot of ways that you can work with the money you're putting in so that it is, gives you maximum benefit at tax return time. That is my two cents for you today. And hopefully it will be helpful for you when you navigate this month towards the RSP deadline. When we come back, we're going to talk about kids and money. How do parents even approach their kids when their kids have no idea what a dollar even looks like? We don't even have a dollar anymore. We have loonies. It's really difficult to have that conversation in this digital world, but we have an expert who's going to give us some insight into how we can get that conversation started with our children. I'm Rabina ahmed Hawk. This is For What It's Worth. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina ahmed Hawk. I think it's a conversation that's actually harder to have with kids than it is even with your romantic partner. And that's money. Sitting down with them, whether they're five years old, 15 years old, or going off to university at 18, it's really difficult to sometimes teach those money lessons that maybe you and I grew up with. Maybe you didn't grow up with them because it is still a taboo subject. It's really difficult to share information like, how much you make, what your investments are, what good value is, why you can't, telling your children why they can't have everything. Uh, that's a problem that I have in my household where my kids don't really know the value of a dollar because they don't ever see it. Everything just arrives magically on the doorstep. Everything is digital. And it's difficult in this environment sometimes to figure out 
how do we actually teach our kids the value of money the way my parents did by giving me a dollar or $2 or $5, whatever it was, and saying, this is your money for today. You got to make it last, whatever you want to buy. And I would sort of make my decision based on what things cost and what meant most to me. And then I would get some change and maybe buy something else or maybe save it for the next time. That doesn't exist anymore. It's difficult in this digital world to actually find out how we can figure out rather how we can teach our kids about money. Well, someone who has a lot of experience uh, teaching kids about money is my next guest. Robin Tobe is a chartered professional accountant and author of The Wisest Investment, Teaching Your Kids to Be Responsible, Independent, and Money Smart for Life. And she joins me now. Hi, Robin. Welcome to the program. Hi, Rabina. So one of the things that I find most difficult is starting that conversation with my kids about money because it, we, I don't know where to begin because things have changed so much. What's your best advice if a parent is struggling to teach their kids money lessons? What's the starting point? It's usually when your kids express interest or curiosity about money and you want to get them at a moment where they're paying attention, like they're not on their phones and distracted by something like social media. So often I tell parents to look for teachable moments. So those are opportunities to build a money lesson into your daily lives that just crop up as you go about your business. So like if you're going to the ATM to take out some cash, assuming you still do that, you can talk about the fact that money doesn't just come out of a hole in the wall. We have to earn it. Or if you're if you're grocery shopping and your kids are with you or you're going to buy something at the mall and you're using your debit card to pay, explain what that is and how it works and how it's different from a credit card. And if you're using your phone to tap and pay, you, you just want to take a few minutes to explain what you're doing. That's the best way to start the conversation when it's relevant, when it's happening and when it's it's part of like, you know, their daily lives, too. Are we our own worst enemy on enemies when it comes to teaching our kids about money, the parents, because it is so easy to just tap, tap, tap and buy something and make them happy. And, and, you know, and they don't have, you don't have to go to the bank machine and get money out to pay for things the way that we used to. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you think some of it is our own fault that we, we, life has become so easy when it comes to purchasing things that we don't have the opportunity to have some of those conversations? It's not our fault that um, transacting and spending has become frictionless. I mean, that's just because of innovations in, you know, digital digital finance and fintech and things like that. I think that um, as a parent, we're really important role models for our kids. So as you point out, they are watching us spend so easily by just tapping our card or our phone. So you have to be aware of the kind of role model you are for your kids and whether you are setting good examples and showing them by example, good financial habits. So, I mean, it's, it's hard to fight the fight back against a society, you know, the society we live in that stresses instant gratification and consumption. So we are all bombarded by these spending temptations. Um, So I think again, as parents, we still have to set the right example, live within our means, be aware of our spending have a budget, talk about the difference between needs and wants. There's so much to go over here, really. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's just changed so much. Uh, the, the the way that we spend money, the way that we invest money, it all sort of happens in, in the ether. It no longer, you, no, nothing ever touches our hands where we can say this is a transaction or this is, like you said, that that friction that happens when you take money out of your wallet and and, and give it to mm-hmm. somebody and they give you an item back and you can have, you have, it, it, I feel like uh, transactions don't even take much time anymore. So, you know, if you do tap mm-hmm. and pay, it takes a, just a moment. Uh, and there's not a much, there's not a lot of time to really explain what's going on. Um, in I really struggle with teaching my kids limits. I, often my son will fill my Amazon app and then just tell me, oh, these are the things that I want, which is really frustrating because I feel like as a personal finance journalist myself, that I, I, what am I doing? This is like the opposite of the way that my children should be acting. But that's the world they grow up in. How do you fight that? Mm-hmm. How do you fight them from you know doing things like, um, you know, just assuming that everything is available to them uh, whenever they want it? Yeah, I mean, you're right. Like just going back to an earlier point, like there is, you lose that visceral pain of loss when that we grew up with where you hand over like a $20 bill and like you're actually breaking it and you get back change. Like you don't have that anymore when you just tap. So you want to try and bring a little bit of that friction back into the process and not make spending so easy Um, because kids will always find it much easier to spend your money than theirs. And that's true if it's, if it's money that you've given them as an allowance, but it's really true when it's money that they've worked hard to earn, but just giving them more responsibility, even if it's through an allowance and sort of making it their money that they're spending and not just putting things in a, in a shopping cart that go into, you know, onto your visa card. Cause then they absolutely don't feel any, any sense of connection between what they, what they want um, or what they need and what it costs. So, um, you know, again, maybe limiting access to just being able to put things um, in an Amazon cart that you pay for, giving them more responsibility through an allowance um, that, you know, where they have some kind of a simple budget and you know what that allowance covers and they have to, you know, actually be responsible for the spending uh, from that allowance. Like these are, you know, for teenagers, but, you know, also, reminding them about the difference between needs and wants, as we just talked about, and encouraging that, you know, even your preteens can start working a little bit like babysitting, or maybe they they work at, at a camp in the summer as a counselor, and then your older teenagers can get part-time jobs to help pay for some of these things, because making that connection between working and earning and spending is vital. Yeah, and that is something I think a lot of parents struggle with, uh, especially you know, at what age, what is appropriate. So talk to us a little bit about, uh, say you want to teach your five-year-old some simple money lessons. What are those lessons that they, any parent today could teach their, their, their five-year-old? Yeah. Well, my philosophy is actually, Rabina, that at any age or stage that your child is at, there are five key or what I call five pillars of money. And they are earn, save, spend, share and invest. So at any of those different ages, you mentioned like five or 15, there are specific topics and examples that are age appropriate that you can teach your child under, you know, one of those earn, save, spend, share and invest. So what you're going to share with a 15 year old about earning is going to be really different than a five year old, but even a five year old gets money for birthdays or holidays or from the tooth fairy. And then they have to make these choices. Do I save some, spend some, share some, or invest? So 
that's really how I, I approach it. And it kind of gives parents a framework to think, okay, you know, you know, what am I covering all these five topics? What does this fit under? And am I, am I making sure that the information I share is age appropriate and relevant to the stage my child is at? Like, as I said, a teenager is really independent. They're going out with their friends. They're probably encountering a lot more opportunities to spend than a five-year-old. But there's always going to be things at their age within those five pillars that are relevant. You talked a little bit about allowance. What is your opinion about allowance? How do parents decide uh, when to start it and how much it should be? Right. So the thing about allowance that gets controversial is whether it should be paid for chores and or whether it's just a great money management tool. Now, again, it goes back to this. Some parents really want their kids to to feel what it takes to earn money and they want their kids to do chores, whereas others want those chores done out of a sense of family responsibility. But wherever you land and you could do some kind of a hybrid, the whole idea is to start when your kids are young. So maybe you start giving them an allowance at around seven um, so that they can make those money choices, the save, the spend, the share, the invest when the stakes are low and they can make mistakes and learn from those mistakes, because as they get older, you know, when they encounter the first opportunity to get a credit card, you know, the mistakes can be more expensive and harder to dig out of. So I think allowance is a really great opportunity for kids to have some autonomy over their spending once they're, you know, a little bit older to be able to make those allocations and to live with the consequences of their choices. Robin, you're always a wealth of information and uh, it's it's so important I you know in my from from my perspective I've got younger kids uh, just to have that conversation always in your house that there's never a money mm-hmm. topic to shy away from if it's you know even if it's like you know talking about the debt ceiling right now everyone's talking about the US debt ceiling right. if a child asks a question try to answer it in a way that they will be able to understand. It doesn't mean that it's out of their exactly. Um, it's out. It's out of. It's unthinkable to to imagine that they wouldn't be able to get what's going on in the world. So I thank you so much uh, for everything. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. That's Robin Tobe. She's a chartered professional accountant and author of The Wisest Investment, Teaching Your Kids to Be Responsible, Independent, and Money Smart for Life, and teaching us as parents what we can do. To teach our kids about money, the opportunities are everywhere, at the grocery store, when you're on the bus, when you're just walking to school. There may be an opportunity to talk to your kids about money, who's making money. The crossing guard that's helping you cross the road is making money right now. That's their job. And so it just helps put in perspective that people are always working to help society, help us but they're making money at it. They're doing it because they want to make a living wage, hopefully. And uh, they want to bring that money home to their family so they can do wonderful things for them. Uh, Just helps put into perspective that people aren't just doing all of this for fun. They're doing it actually to earn an income. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Lunar New Year and how this time of year presents an opportunity to talk about money, to set some goals for the year, and uh, and and what Lunar New Year can teach us all about the values of money. I'm Ruby Nomad Huck, and this is for what it's worth. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Huck. It is a really special time of year for millions of people in Canada celebrating Lunar New Year. Um, As it is for New Year on January 
31st or December 31st, whenever you consider it, it's a time to reflect, to look at things that maybe really challenged us in the past, things that we want to do differently in the year ahead. And part of that might be also reflecting on some of our money values. Uh, Lunar New Year, it's customary for uh, parents and elders to give children money in red envelopes. And that also can be a point of conversation to have with the children that are getting that money, how they can manage it, how they can save it maybe for something bigger in the future. Um, so again, an opportunity to have conversations about money in your family with your children and other people that maybe you just want to talk a little bit more about your finances with. To talk about Lunar New Year and how this is an opportunity for us to talk about our personal finances, we're joined by Alfred Chung. He's Senior Manager, Segment Strategy and Sales at TD Bank. Hi, Alfred. Hi, Rubina. How are you? Uh, great. Happy Lunar New Year to you. Happy Lunar New Year to you and the audience as well. I wanted to ask, for for those of us who are not as familiar with Lunar New Year, can you tell us about its significance? Sure. So uh, January 22nd is the start of the Lunar New Year. And this year is the year of the rabbit in the Chinese zodiac. And rabbit symbolizes uh, mercy, elegance, patience, and luck. And uh, it is also uh, being called the Spring Festival. And it is the most important holiday in many, many Asian countries, including China, South Korea, and Vietnam, and countries with a significant overseas Chinese population. Some even estimated that, you know, globally, about a quarter of the population celebrate the Lunar New Year. And today it is celebrated across Canada with many organizations holding different events. And uh, we, you know, are committed to investing in our communities. And in GTA, we are supporting uh, several events across uh, the GTA, while including the Toronto Community Cultural Center, the Youth uh, Future Foundation, the Yihong Dragon Ball, and the Toronto Chinese Folk Arts Center, just to name a few. Are there other events happening? Our show goes across Canada that you are aware of, maybe in Vancouver or other parts of the country that people could get involved with or participate in? Oh, definitely. You know, in Calgary, we are supporting the China, uh, Calgary Chinese Cultural Center Association with the Lunar New Year Festival. And also in, in Vancouver, it's the uh, Asian Canadian Special Events and the Vancouver Art Gallery, uh, Art Gallery as well. So Lunar New Year starts Sunday, January 22nd, but it is actually a, a longer event. What what sort of goes on during all those days and how long is it? Yeah, well, I, technically, you know, it's a 15-day festival. So the first few days is usually visiting families and friends, you know, uh, bringing them good luck, bringing them gifts, you know, and then the third day is kind of like a, a day to rest, you know, we call it. And then the seventh day, we call it everybody's birthday. And then on the 15th day, it's actually the Lantern Day, Lantern Festival, something like that. So, so it's celebrated, you know, throughout uh, the 15-day period, especially in, uh, in uh, most Asian countries. So we're getting towards the end of those festivities. And, and a lot of Canadians have been celebrating uh, Lunar New Year with all those events that you just described. Uh, one of the, the ways that you celebrate is by giving envelopes of, uh, of money, red envelopes of yes. money uh, to children. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, how you decide on the amount of money to give, if, if that's not too much <laughs> of a personal question. <laughs> No, well, well, typically, so for immediate family members and relatives, you kind of put a little bit more. And then for close friends and, and uh, close friends, and uh, and then you put, you know, you put a little bit less, but then there's still quite a significant amount. And then for just casual friends, then you just uh, decide on, you know, how many you want to put. So there's no a set amount that uh, people have to put. So it really, really depends on uh, each person. 
And it can be an opportunity, especially when you're giving that money to a young person and maybe they're getting a, a number of different envelopes from different people and they might come up with, you know, a nice sum of money at the end of at the end of Lunar New Year. Um, is this an opportunity to talk to uh, young people about uh, money and saving and investment? How do you see this uh, as maybe a teachable moment? Yeah, it's a, it's my only source of income when I was a kid. You know, for a lot of children, <laughs> okay. actually, you know, they, <laughs> yeah, for a lot of uh, younger children, you know, it's actually the first time that they have some uh, money of their own, right? So when it's a family, it's a, uh, you know, how to handle that influx of cash is important to how children view their relationship with money as adults, right? So uh, learning about uh, money can be fun for kids. You know, they see the adults, you know, use it and talk about it. And earlier on, they discovered that it has power and impact on their lives. So understanding money gives children a sense of confidence in their own relationship with the world. So it can be helpful, you know, during this time to talk to your kids about the difference between spending needs, you know, those that must have, or spending wants, you know, those that are nice to have, right? And this can help kids uh, to understand that they can spend some money off the cash that they receive. But then they should also at the same time save some money for future needs, right? So maybe buying a new toy that they want and uh, they want to save up and buy it in the summer, perhaps a bike in the summer, right? And then, uh, you know, uh, different kids at different age, you know, uh, can have a different conversation depending on how old your kids are. So younger kids may only need to understand that you cannot buy every toy in sight because uh, you also need the money to buy groceries and pay your mortgage, right? When a high school level kid uh, they might be able to understand a little bit more, understand what debt is and uh, how to invest your cash and how to save uh, your cash resources for some bigger purchases like a house or a car or something like that. So so it, it, it's really uh, depending on the age and then uh, that that's when you are uh, accommodate well tailor the conversation uh, with your kids and uh, these days you know in addition to showing the kids how to read a bank book or balance the bank a check or write a check you know parents may also want to show their children how to track the savings or manage their budget online or using apps so making it interesting for the level is the key and making it fun i think that, that would be a very good lessons you know uh, to be learned during this chinese new year Alfred, I have this image of you as a young person, just, you know, gathering all your money. It's your income for the year, how you're going to spend it, sort of thinking about all the things that you're going to save for or, or maybe spend on right away, something you've been wanting to 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 uh, purchase. It's, you know, it's a feeling, I think, that really helps kids understand the value of money and how the, the, the delayed gratification, the longer you wait, maybe then you have a birthday coming up, maybe you'll get some more money there and then you can buy something bigger and more substantial rather than some small things that you may not appreciate. You know, Lunar Year is celebrated okay. by many new Canadians. Um, what resources are available to help them in their investment journey? Because it can be an overwhelming experience for anyone, uh, especially someone who is new to the country um, and new uh, new to everything. The language, the the culture, everything is, is brand new to them. Yeah, for new Canadians, you know, whether you are new immigrants or international students, we do have some uh, special banking packages which offers with uh, different offers and savings uh, designed to meet their needs. So understanding the financial products in Canada could be quite different from their home country. We also have a lot of resources to help them learn about those uh, financial products in Canada in uh, 11 different languages. And uh, furthermore, you know, our colleagues at Branches speak many, many different languages, including Chinese, Punjabi, Portuguese, you know, just to name a few, to help them if they want to uh, speak face-to-face uh, -face with them. And then uh, I also mentioned about online tools and apps before. There are actually a lot of those to help, uh, not just new Canadians, but everyone, well, such as uh, the retirement calculator, our online advice hub, and the MySpan app. 
more, these are very useful resources to help uh, make managing uh, their finances easier. We are in a very busy season. Uh, it's tax time. RSP deadline is approaching. There's a lot that uh, Canadians can do to reduce their their tax burden or their income tax bill uh, if they do contribute to their RSP. If someone's just feeling a bit overwhelmed by all the different options, what's your best advice to help them get on track at this time? Sort of find the the best path forward, whether uh, they're, they want to whether they want to invest in their RSP or not, or they want to do something that's going to help them at tax time or not. But what's the best path forward? Well, I think the most direct way uh, to get more support is to talk to a personal banker or a financial advisor, right? Uh, confidentially, they can review uh, your financial, uh, uh, current financial situation, understand your cash inflow, outflow, and ask you some questions to understand some wealth pl planning uh, key areas, uh, such as uh, your financial goals, your time horizon, your risk tolerance, et cetera, so that together with uh, their input, they can customize an action plan or even a full financial plan for themselves and their family. And they will guide them along the way and help them implement the plan and then have regular reviews to see if any changes is needed based on the situation and the current market condition. When it comes to your family, Alfred, at this time, are there some uh, lessons, money lessons especially, that are typical in your in, in your family that you try to teach during Lunar New Year, or even values when it comes to uh, money uh, that you you try to teach your your children or your family members at this time? Yeah, well, it's, it is the start of the new year, so it's a great time to review the investment portfolio and to improve on your financial literacy and plan for the year ahead. And, and this is uh, especially important with uh, today's market condition, uh, the economic environment, uh, rising interest rates, rising invasion, uh, uh, inflation, and the cost of living. So I think the four areas that I usually tell people to focus on is the spend, borrow, save, and plan. So spend is how to manage your cash flow, uh, to spend less than your income so that you can pay for your bills and pay on time. And borrow is you know, uh, only what you can afford and build and protect your credit score. To save is to prepare for the unexpected and prioritize your short-term and long-term saving goals and to plan ahead financially to help safeguard your financial future. Those are the four major pillars that I usually tell people that they should focus on and I implement that with myself and my family as well. That is wonderful, Alfred. Uh, if only everyone could have such an open and easygoing conversation about money in their in their family, not just during a, a special time like Lunar New Year, but every, any time of the year, I think we would all just be more financially literate and just more confident uh, in our money decisions um, when we're young and, and in, into our adult life. Thank you so much for joining the program today. I really love this conversation. Thank you so much, Rubina. Thank you to you, Alfred. Uh, that was Alfred Chung. He's Senior Manager of Segment Strategy and Sales at TD Bank. And we were talking to him about Lunar New Year, how it is an opportunity for families across the country uh, to not only celebrate and be together and do all those things that we all look forward to, the good, warm and fuzzy stuff, but also a good opportunity to really reflect back on the year that was, to look forward to the year that's coming. And for the the conversations that are happening with children, uh, if you're giving them, you know, at the end of the day, they might end up with hundreds of dollars. Those little, uh, wall, uh, little, little bits of money from each relative adds up to quite a bit of money. Uh, and that can be an opportunity to talk to young people about what they're going to do with that, how they're going to invest it properly, how they're going to save for for something that they maybe they have wanted that they could buy in the summer, uh, and whatever it is that their money goals are. It's a good time to have that conversation. It doesn't always mean that they have to do something boring like invest. It could be saving for a bicycle or saving for something else. Uh, but having the conversation, not just letting them spend the money 
without having the conversation. I think that is the number one lesson uh, that every parent can take is that as long as the young person knows what they're spending on and they've made that decision with all the information they have, they could possibly get. Uh, that's the money lesson uh, that that's better than most parents uh, can hope for when it comes to their kids and their money. We are going to take a quick break and we come back. It is February. I know I talk about RSPs and I've also been talking about uh, tax season, uh, but let's talk about Valentine's Day and how this is a time where many of us are thinking about what we're going to buy for our significant other and talk a little bit about what we should be spending when it comes to our, our loved one on Valentine's Day. But also, uh, if, if you are struggling with money and having arguments about money in your relationship, how you can bring up that conversation with your partner uh, so that you can just become more financially well in your romantic relationships. I'm Rabina Ahmed Huck, and this is For What It's Worth. From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, you're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Huck. Well, we're only about eight, nine days away from that forced love day, as I often like to call it, Valentine's Day. I do see the joy in Valentine's Day. I think when I was, uh, before I met my husband, I was really sort of negative about it. Uh, But I do see it as a day that really just belongs to you and your partner. And uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, a time where you spend a lot of money on gifts. In fact, I don't even think that we need to go out for dinner or do anything extravagant. It's really a day just to recognize what your partner means to you. Maybe buy them something small to show your 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 love and affection for them, or maybe nothing at all. There's been many Valentines in my household where we haven't bought anything for each other. Uh, my husband sometimes buys me flowers, which is very sweet, but sometimes I wonder if it's worth the money uh, because we are very open about how much we charge uh, on our credit cards. Uh, in fact, we share a credit card, so we have this ongoing joke that we can't hide any of the presents that we buy for each other. So you know, whether you're single or not, whether you're in a relationship or not, uh, it's always a good time to think about when you are with someone for the long term to how how you are going to have that money talk. Because it's not something that comes naturally to most of us to sit down with someone and say, okay, let's talk about our debts and how much money do you make and what are your long-term financial goals? These are not exactly pillow talk conversations, I would think. But it is really important because money is still one of the major reasons that couples fight and break up. And uh, financial infidelity, according to some surveys, is considered just as bad as infidelity. So if someone's hiding their purchases, if someone has a credit card that they've run up and they're not sharing the bill with their partner, that has an effect on your relationship, not just when it comes to trust and and knowing what the other person is doing and, and how they're managing their money, but also because they feel they can't come to you and talk to you about it. And it has an effect on that other person's finances. So if you've got a credit, credit card bill that you've run up, say for $5,000, and your partner has no idea, uh, at some point, that debt is going to affect your relationship because that money has to come from somewhere. And that could mean that that year... You have to give something up. Maybe you are going to uh, go on a vacation. Maybe you are planning on doing some sort of work around the house. Maybe you are going to buy some new furniture. Uh, Maybe you are going to invest it somewhere. All of that doesn't seem possible when you've got this big debt on one side that you've got to pay off, whether it's your debt or your partner's debt. So it's really important to sit down and have that money conversation. So how do you do it, right? How do you actually start that conversation? The number one thing to understand is that there is a certain point in a relationship where that money talk has to happen. And usually it's when you're going to merge your finances in some way. So moving in together is one. 
Having a baby together is definitely one and getting married, absolutely. You have to discuss openly and candidly about your finances, your debts, your mistakes, anything that may affect the relationship. Because if you get into a relationship uh, and the, the person thinks that you're clear, clear and free of all debt, free and clear of all debt, that's the way we say it. Uh, and then they realize you're not, that could impact how they feel about other things that you talk to them about. Are you being open and honest about everything else? You know, it's sort of that snowball effect. Uh, relationships are sticky. We need to always be open and honest about our our feelings. And that includes our feelings about our finances so that the other person trusts that we're always going to come to them and let them know what's going on. So if say you're deciding to move in together, the first thing that you should be doing is having that money talk, uh, what your salary is, because a lot of people don't share their salary. So share your salary. Share any debts that you have and what interest is connected to that debt. So if it's credit card debt, it's much more serious than student debt, for example. And, you know, it's also serious if it's maybe a payday loan or some kind of debt that really is going to grow quickly if you don't pay it off. Also talk to your partner about your own financial goals. And this could be where you plan on being in five years, in 10 years, in 15 years. Maybe your plan is to move to the suburbs and buy a three bedroom house and get a dog and have some kids. And that's going to be the way you want to set your life up. Whereas your partner's idea was, I'm going to make some money in this city and then I want to move out of the country. I want to live in another part of the world. Maybe we'll have kids. Maybe we won't. But that's not really my plan. And those are really important conversations to have because both of those uh, pads cost money and they, you spend your money differently. There's no way that you could do one. Uh, you could do both of those things together. The other thing that I have found that is really contentious is the way that we shop. So shopping for me and my husband has been one of the ways that we have learned a lot about our money values. So the kinds of grocery stores that you go to, the kinds of items that you buy. Some people really like to buy the most, what they consider the highest quality ingredients at the most expensive shops because they feel they're getting a better product. While as others like to shop with value in mind, they like to they, they like to stock up, they like to uh, do grocery shopping in a way where they've got lots of food for another couple of weeks. Uh, for example, one thing in my family that I had to, we had to talk about was that I really don't like bulk cooking. It's just not one of the things that I ever really have enjoyed doing. Uh, so my husband used to bulk cook on Sundays and then he would eat throughout the week because it saved him time and money. And I didn't like that. I, it wasn't something I was, I, my theory was that I can still save money. I can still make smaller meals, but they will be fresh for every day. And that was an actual money conversation that I never really thought that we would ever have because I didn't want to, I didn't want to operate my house that way. And so we had to come to a conclusion, I sort of, sort of some sort of uh, arrangement, uh, right? And so we do now do a hybrid. So there is some stuff that sort of stays in the fridge a couple of days. And then there's stuff we cook every night. I try that every night something is fresh because that's just how I am. And that's the way that I like to eat. And so these are the conversations you have to have because all these things affect your money. And if you don't have them, they do become major problems in your relationship because it becomes contentious no matter what. Like when you go grocery shopping, all of a sudden there's an argument that can be had at the grocery store. Why are you buying this and not this? Why are you stocking up on that and not that? Because not everybody feels that everything that the other person is buying is a deal or worth it. There's a lot of things my husband buys, I, I don't necessarily think that they're necessary, but he likes them in his diet. So he buys them. Those are things to talk about. And also talk about things like how much you want to spend on leisure. So things like going out and traveling. This is not something that everybody does and everybody sees value in. So if that's something you love to do, talk to your partner about how much money you expect to spend every year on entertainment and fun, because not everybody 
has the same values when it comes to how much they want to spend out at a, you know, a night out at a restaurant or where they want to go on vacation and, you know, the kind of hotels they want to stay at. All of that comes down to your money value. So it's Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Well, it's soon happy Valentine's Day. Great opportunity to show the person that you love uh, something, give them something, maybe do something for them. They can do something for you. Uh, go out together, whatever, whatever it is that makes you happy. But also take this opportunity to really think about how financially well are you both in your relationship? Is there something that you should bring up that has kind of been the elephant in the room? This is a good opportunity to do it because we're all kind of feeling fuzzy about our relationships at this time. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I thought this was a great show, really sort of focusing on uh, children and families and how to have those conversations when it comes to our money, things that we can take away today and put into uh, practice in our everyday life. Uh, I really appreciate you listening. Join us next week at this time. This is For What It's Worth, and I'm Rubina Madhawk.